You're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. What is happening? How are you? What's new? How's life? What's going on? 2021, are you guys uh, excited for the vaccines? Right? The multiple vaccines that are hitting the marketplace. Uh, Hopefully, everybody will get there soon. I know that there are some folks out there that are worried about the vaccines. I was reading about the stuff this morning, and who knows what you can trust. Uh, but a lot of the stuff I was reading was positive, right? I mean, how many millions of people? It was like over 6 million people that had been distributed one of them, and they only had like 300 errors, 300 issues with it. It sounds like a lot of that stuff comes down to whether or not you're allergic to specific things, which I am. So it would be interesting to see exactly what that is. Um, but uh, things are good on my end. Uh, we've been busy here banging out new episodes of the show. And uh, I have been lining up new sponsors, which I will talk about during the ad reads on this episode. And um, today I'm excited because I am going back east on the podcast. I'm going back to my hometown of Boston today to feel a little bit nostalgic and celebrate the stuff that I love about that city, right? What do I love about that city? I know a lot of you guys are going to be like, what the fuck's wrong with you, dude? How could you like snow? I love it when it snows, man. I love it when we have blizzards. I love all that stuff. Uh, And I kind of miss it. Uh, Out here, I get excited when we get close to 50-something degrees. (laughs) And I know a lot of people are like, oh, boo-hoo. Look, I like the seasonal changes. I miss that. I really do. We talk about that on this episode. Um, But I also get to sit down and chat with a couple of guys that also worked, did really great work in Boston. Dudes that I would see regularly um, when I would be overshooting at Red Sky Studios. At one point, they had an office there, and I think now their office is in my old building in Boston, which is very cool and surreal. Uh, there's different parts when we're recording where I hear noises in the background. I go, I know exactly where that building is. Um, and today, I have these guys on the show because they have been really great players in the advertising world in Boston. They are known for shooting beautiful stuff, for going above and beyond with their production content and with the quality of content that they do. Um, but also, these guys have are, are kind of getting to the point that I got to where it's like, look, what are we doing this for? Are we just commercial guys or do we want to tell stories? Do we want to make films? And I think that these guys have that that need, that urge to make movies, uh, and they've done it. They've done the thing that so many of you listening find impossible to do. They found the balls to go shoot a movie. And what did they shoot? They shot the most complicated thing possible. They made a ski film. They made a ski film in New England, where if you live in New England, you understand that in order to make a ski movie, you need snow. You need some sort of reliability. Uh, And these guys decided to not only do it in a place that uh, has crazy weather patterns, but also in a place that isn't the easiest place to ski. Sure, there are mountains that exist. There are those those main trails that you can go down if you want to line up with the rest of the brain dead and sort of ski down a plowed slope, but these guys, these guys wanted to go off the trail. They wanted to create a sense of adventure and make a film uh, doing it, and they did. 
and the movie is called Made Back East. Uh, it is quote unquote a natively New England ski film. Uh, it's a really great piece. I'm excited uh, for you guys to see it. We're going to have links below the episode. And the directors, uh, Dustin Devlin and Jack LeMay, are joining us on the show. So we've got two dudes, two directors. Uh, we're going to have a filmmaker threesome <laughs> on today's episode of Unlevel the Process. Uh, I just want to thank all of you who continue to follow me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or follow the podcast at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Uh, I highly suggest you do so now and continue to stick with it because with these new sponsors, I'm going to have a lot of new deals and a lot of new contests coming. A lot of very exciting stuff on the horizon. Like not only are we lining up great guests for the show, but I'm also trying to get really good stuff in your hands and those of you who have ordered the podcast t-shirts or my podcast uh, 12 cam t-shirts i have literally a handful left so by the time this episode comes out reach out to me and see if i got any left if you guys want some because i i'm shipping out about half of what i have left today so uh, if you guys missed the opportunity to get them before these are limited edition I'm, I'm probably not going to print these again. So, at least the way that I did. So, those of you who actually got a t-shirt, those of you who won a t-shirt through the contest, congratulations. You guys got a limited edition ILWP t-shirt. Uh, so, I appreciate you guys and love the support. Um, so, yeah, back to today's guests. Uh, Dustin, I've known for a while. I don't think I've met Jack. I think this is the first time I met Jack was on this show. But uh, Dustin comes from the advertising world. I think they both come from the advertising world. Um, And it's interesting to uh, listen to how successful their business plan has become in a very small marketplace. Um, And go to their website. Definitely go check out Vagrants. I think it's vagrants.com. I'll double check that as we're going through. Um, But uh, they're great. So without further ado, let me not rant and rave rave about this stuff let's get into the show so you know the deal grab those noise canceling headphones find a nice quiet place to sit and relax drown out your roommates drown out your girlfriend put on those noise canceling headphones and just imagine the sound of snow imagine a blizzard imagine you're snowed in right and you got those those boots in the doorway that are leaking water all over your hardwood floor because you had to go outside and shovel and you're just relaxing maybe with like a warm cup of cocoa (laughs) I don't know why it's cocoa (laughs) put some whiskey in it Uh, sit back relax and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process Hey, fellas, thanks for being on the show. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, very excited. Uh, I haven't seen you, Dustin, since I was in Boston. It's been almost a year, or more than a year since I've been over there at this point. Quite a bit of time. It was almost like a daily, weekly fixture at the studio, and <laughs> we, have, we have lost. The distance has come between us and the, the disease. 
<laughs> the pandemic. <laughs> it's true. The pandemic has become come between everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> this morning, I was almost, almost going to be late because I had to go get COVID tested today because I'm going to be hanging out with some folks later in the month. And so I want to make sure that I was clean. Um, but, uh, how has it been crazy in Boston? Do you guys, can you guys get COVID tested every week or you're not allowed to get COVID tested? I also got a test this morning. Um, I saw some friends this past weekend and, uh, just got a little test before and test after. So we had a pretty good stop the spread, uh, public testing thing going on. Oh, good. Um, yeah. We're getting tested pretty frequently for shoots too. So I'm, I'm just coming off a shoot. Uh, you know, got tested before, tested after. Um, so, you know, I, I think we feel fairly comfortable. We're, we're in the same space right now because we've we've just been, we're in each other's bubbles and we've been tested so frequently. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's good in one respect, but, you know, it's what has been really difficult about it is, uh, you know, the trying to balance the production flow yeah um yeah with covid covid has just become just such a big consideration in everything we do oh it's straight through with everything dude we we have been dealing with it on the west coast too and for quite some time uh testing was a, a lot easier to do but they just like last week they just clamped down on everything and now they're converting testing sites to um vaccine delivery site so it'll be interesting yeah. to see how it plays out over the next couple months but yeah um it's good to hear We're that you guys you guys safe. out there though <laughs> the, we just hear the bad news coming from the the left coast uh, <laughs> dude it's just because you know we hear the bad news coming from the east coast i think it's just the drama yeah. that, that they stir up for us man like uh yeah. Yes, there's a lot of cases out here. Yes, a lot of people have it. But literally, like Gina and I have been quarantined pretty much for a year. Like we've yeah. basically just been doing post-production and, and all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. What what have you guys been watching? What's your quarantine watch list? A watch list? Well, let's see. What have we been? <laughs> it depends on, on our mood. So like I've been watching a bunch of like really cool indie horror movie stuff like color from out of Sp- color from space uh from spectra vision all those guys um and then when we're feeling depressed and we need some trash tv i think we've been watching all the old episodes of new girl <laughs> oh i love that show though <laughs> I, is there i don't think there's been a better like modern sitcom ensemble cast than that it's so perfect i love jake johnson i'd love to work with him oh. he's so great dude i think he's fantastic i think you guys would vibe yeah, he's so fucking great, dude. Um, and then last week's episode that we put out was the director that did uh, Gossip Girl. And I got him on the show because Gina was obsessed with that fucking show. How yeah. many... Gina's just walking through right now. How many episodes of that fucking show did you watch? Like 24 episodes a season, one hour piece, seven seasons. 17 seasons, 24... Seven seasons? Seven seasons, seven seasons 24 seven. episodes per season, and they're an hour piece. Yeah, and she's probably seen it seven times through. Oh my god, dude! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a no fly zone for my wife. If if Gigi is ever on and I walk through the living room, it is the it is either off or we're changing <laughs> to something else. That's that's the one thing I won't tolerate. I'm tolerating Bridgerton right now, but <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm not enjoying it. 
I'm the worst guy to say because if I don't like something or if I hate a show, I can't sit there with you to watch it. So I have to leave because if I sit there, uh-huh. I go, "Look at this fucking shit! Look what they're fucking doing here!" And this doesn't make any fucking sense. Why are you watching this shit? I know. And Gina is probably much like Tracy, my wife. She just wants to turn her brain off yeah. and just like <laughs> yeah. just gorge in this like human cesspool. Um, but I just can't. I can't tolerate it, and I just start pointing out everything. Yeah, it's, it's insufferable. That's because we work in this business. It's really what it comes down to. That's right. Uh, Well, look, I'm happy that you guys are safe. I'm happy you guys are being good. And we're here to talk about, uh, it's pretty exciting. You guys made a ski film in in Massachusetts, Boston on the East Coast, which is kind of strange. And I got to check it out and uh, it's beautiful. Like if you. you guys are just consistently shooting really beautiful imagery whether it's this film or whether it's the commercial work that you guys do, you guys really have stepped up, especially coming from Boston and understanding uh, what the production world in Boston looks like. You guys have always been hyper-focused on really great imagery and the editing has always been spot on uh, for the stuff that you guys do. So, well, thank you so much, man. That, that means a lot coming from you. I've told you this many times, but uh, coming up, you know, we, we looked up to you uh, and a lot of the other folks that were, were kind of of your generation. And I think uh, I, I think we're just but we're just below your generation, just a few just a few years below. But, um, you know, I think you, you guys definitely opened up the door for for Boston to have a, a productive, um, creative production scene. You know? Well, all of us older dudes on the front porch are just looking back going, look at these young kids. These guys are good. These ones are good. These youngsters, they know what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> Get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> There's still plenty of that. There's yeah, still plenty of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... Um, I think what... And I'm sure we'll get into this. So I hope I'm not jumping the gun. But I, I think what we were really trying to do as a commercial production company was just to prove to ourselves um, that it didn't have to be like that, that we could do something else. You know, I think that's where that this this idea of ours really started. Um, and and I think that's important, uh, especially for the Boston scene, which is completely fueled on advertising, you know, yeah. pretty much all production in Boston, you know, with the exception of the films that come from out of town uh, is, is centered in revolving around commercial production. So, um, it, it was, that, that was definitely the, the sort of impetus of, of how this film, uh, was born. I, you guys have, like I said, you guys have been smart. You've, you've sort of, you've got your priorities in the right place. And I think one of the big reasons why I ended up because you, I ended up leaving Boston, and you knew me. Like I, I was the ultimate Boston champion. Like, <laughs> like this is the place that I made all. Like Boston's where I made all my amazing proof of concept movies. It's where I had like over fucking nineteen years of building like a solid crew and a solid team. Um, and I just sort of hit that uh, roadblock on you know. There's a specific type of material that Boston. There's, there's a specific way to make money in that city. Yeah, and. Uh, the stuff that I ultimately loved to do scared the fuck out of people there. So yeah. it like eventually hit a point where I'm like, I gotta get, I, I gotta go somewhere where people aren't as afraid of my stuff. Um, and you guys like have figured out how to do stuff that you love, but also really works for the area that you guys are doing it in. 
Um, and so you found success with that, right? Yeah, I think um, I think that's kind of where this genre um, of the ski film, and it, and it's it, you know it is a, a bit more of of, of a story uh, focused ski film, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think that's where that idea came from for us is that it had, did have to resonate with this area. Um, and also being that we, we are born out of the advertising world, we did want to have a component of, um, brand involvement in the film. Uh, you know, we really truly believe that our business, um, you know, video for, for marketing and advertising is best when it doesn't feel like video for marketing and advertising. Um, when, when there's a, it it is story forward and, and interesting and compelling and you, you watch it because, it's, it doesn't feel like an ad. Um, you know, so we, we were kind of inspired by, you know, the Yeti series, you know, North Face, Patagonia do this quite a bit. You know, they get involved in films and then they find a way to package them um, that is shareable, that is marketable. Um, and, and really like the ultimate, you know, conversion of that is, is you know, kind of right before this whole pandemic thing went down. Um, Yeti actually took their video series, their short film doc series on the road mm. for film festivals and we're selling out they sold out the Somerville theater uh three nights in a row you know so that wow that definitely set kind of a light bulb off for us to say that you know why can't we do that um we also looked up to some of those production companies that were those hybrid um um doco film companies and commercial production outfits uh farm league mm-hmm. it comes to to mind they're, they're kind of like the golden uh, example of that for us and they've obviously you know produced several of those yeti films um so that where that that convergence of um brand support with storytelling um you know wh- wh- where that crossroads is is, is where we want to live and you know this was us trying to convince folks the the the, the holders of the keys here in Boston are, are the 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 commercial advertising folks um, that this kind of content is viable and and people are interested in it and we can create an audience that um, will consume it and I I believe we were successful there. It's yeah. super smart, fellas. Super smart. We were also trying to convince ourselves as much as everyone else, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, just because we were a commercial shop, we we were all aspiring filmmakers getting into this business um, and had made quirky shorts along the way and tried to sort of keep the filmmaking dream alive. But we had spent the past five or six years like only doing advertising. So it's like we needed to convince ourselves that we still those muscles still worked. Yeah. Um, yeah. As well. Yeah. It makes sense, man, because I was I was in the same boat back in the day when I was you know, when we started our company, or my old company, we started wanting to do movies initially, and then we got into music videos, and music videos was like, hey, this is a great way for us to practice shit and for us to figure this stuff out. And then yeah. when the music videos started to die out, then it was like, okay, we have to stay open, so let's get into advertising. And then in advertising, it was like, okay, well, I'm here, I'll learn how to direct a crew of fucking union guys, or I'll learn how to do this. Um, but then you just you find yourself over time um, just lost in that. And I think sometimes, you know, that that focus is important because you got to make money. You got to keep the company open. Everybody's got to get paid. All that stuff happens. But at least for me, I sort of hit a point where I'm like, what am I fucking doing? I'm chasing my tail here. 
And so uh, I kind of did the same thing when I started to do my little proof of concept stuff where it was like, I'm in this to be a fucking filmmaker. Um, and it was really an adjustment that not only helped me make my movies, but also changed the way I'm processed as a commercial director too. Yeah. So, yeah. And there's that sort of thing where, and I, I totally admired this about you as you were making the transition. Um, there just comes a certain point where you have to stop talking about it and just do it and yeah. just take the leap of faith and say, um, if if I just go out and give it my all, um, at the very least, I'm proving to myself whether it's a viable direction or if it's something I can or cannot do. But but at at, at you know at best, um, it's it's something that can show the world that this is what Mike Pesci can do. This is and, and that's what we wanted to do as vagrants and, and as a collective, um, just to show people that yeah we we can do it. And, and really anything else that comes beyond that was was a total bonus. Well, you, of course, you guys didn't pick a, a technically easy thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Learned a lot about that. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny because we fancy ourselves, you know, outdoors people. I jack much more so than, than me. Uh-huh. Um, and we we weren't backcountry skiers i should be very clear about that uh, we actually the last podcast we did was like a backcountry skiing podcast <laughs> we quickly realized talking to the host uh, that we are still kooks um, in in that respect but um, we we really f- kind of fancied ourselves that that we you know we can handle it right what what's what's uh, what's so hard about it and we realized quickly how how hard and demanding uh, it really is Oh, dude. Yeah, just take a, for a full commercial uh, camera package with uh, anamorphic lenses and 50, you know, peripheral bells and whistles and slog it with a sled up a mountain. And, uh, <laughs> it's a little different. You don't have the grips and the PAs and, and all the people to uh, help support you. No, nope, it was all us. And and he, he, the other thing is, like, we we did some research before – uh, talking to other outdoor filmmakers, um, you know that that were connected through through the you know the, the film community, and we ignored literally everything they said, which was <laughs> make sure you have a competent guide. Well, that was a stretch. Make sure <laughs> make sure you have uh, you know a snowmobile or some sort of all terrain vehicle. Didn't have that. Uh, you know, at, at best you're going to want um, uh, aerial support. Nope, not there. You know, so <laughs> and if you have none of those things, have a tiny run and gun package that you know fits in a backpack. Exactly, didn't have yeah. that. Didn't have that. <laughs> yeah. But I think that was all kind of um, it was necessary um, for the story. It, it ended up really kind of making this um, as much about the the story we were trying to tell the, 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 the pulling back the curtain of the, how we're actually doing it. You know, we became as, as producers of the film, we became a part of it. We became sort of characters, um, in, inside it. So I, I think that, you know, <laughs> whether it was intentional or unintentional, um, it worked in our advantage. It's fascinating because I, I'm not, I don't ski, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not much of a sports guy and, Last time I put anything on my feet, I ended up falling on the ice and ended up in uh, you know intensive care. So I, right. I don't I don't I don't do that. I th- I've learned my lesson. <laughs> uh, but 
Um, I have enjoyed, obviously, that genre and like the skateboard film genre and like Dogtown and Z Boys and that whole thing. And I've always found mm. the the line because it it isn't really a doc. It's more like a like a stylized narrative lifestyle kind of thing, which is really fascinating. And you end up shooting people doing like amazing things at their peak or or like confronting amazing odds. And uh, you guys did such a good job of capturing that uh, in such a cinematic way, in a beautiful way, that the lines kind of get blurred. And and this is kind of a, a more recent thing, you know, whether you blame it on Errol Morris or you blame it on a lot of these documentarians that sort of have paved the way for this narrative vibe, this narrative feel with it. Because um, you guys, everybody that is in this film, no one's actors. They're all real skiers, right? This is Great. Yeah. 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 You've hit the nail on the head there. I, you know, I think the interesting thing about going into this project was knowing that on some level it was documentary, but on another level it was sort of stylized narrative, and and it was going to be some kind of hybrid in the middle of those. Mm. Um, and that was a really interesting process, kind of figuring out how much could we plan and which what of these scenes are scenes we could sort of approached almost like a commercial shoot. Um, you know, with uh, our wide and our close and, and all the different sort of like connecting shots all planned out versus what was just um, grip it and rip it. You know, there's a narrative moment happening. Let's go capture the authenticity. And the, and the casting was central to that. It was important to us um, that we were finding people that weren't pro skiers. You know, to, to us, we are telling the anti-ski film, which is if, if you're Teton Gravity Research, you're going up to Alaska for two months and you're sending sponsored skiers out of helicopter drops and then <laughs> skiing the like the most insane conditions imaginable. Now, in New England, that just isn't the case. We knew that. And that's that's what we were romanticizing is that it doesn't have to be that. And you don't have to be a pro skier uh, uh, to, to, to enjoy it. Um, so we wanted to find people that were kind of really kind of embodied that spirit of the hardy New Englander that has that fiery passion for the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that there are also relatable people um, that, that, you know, have somehow made a life and have built a, a life, you know, what you would you know, consider a mundane American life around this passion for the sport. Uh, you know, Jim Borofsky is is one of the characters in it. She's a family doctor up in up in northern Vermont, and she gets up at four o'clock in the morning to hike up, you know, skin up the mountain to get one run in before her kids uh, are awake <laughs> and 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 get on you know the the bus to go to school. So, you know, that that in and of itself were the people that we were trying to find and the people whose you know essence and character we wanted to shine through in, in the storytelling. Right. And it's there was an element of we wanted everybody in the film to feel like someone you might sit on the chairlift with. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, because in, in New England every time you get on the chair, you're next to some interesting character that has their whole backstory of why they live here and what drives them. And it feels like we've all met the people in this film before. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so the per- the idea was elevating that sort of average person to an above average sort of um, <laughs> cinematic portrayal yeah. that felt relatable. Yeah. So what was the, how was the planning for this? Did you guys, you, you guys went through, you found the people that you wanted to be in the film. And then 
did you guys have like a like a rough idea like let's find some backwoods area like scale up it and see what it's like to ski down this thing and and then like how did you how did you plan it out yeah we went through all the mental gymnastics i i think first we wanted we had to pitch um in order for us to pull this off on the shoestring budget that we did we needed a partner who is going to supply the gear mm-hmm. and 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 parlor became that that partner and they're a small um bootstrapped uh startup ski shop uh in of all places an airport back lot in east boston <laughs> um and, and I, I had known them. I actually have a pair of Vagrant's custom skis, parlor skis. Uh, so that's how I met them. <laughs> and um, I'm a shameless self-promoter, just as a side note there. No, no big deal. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that, that we knew that without them, this would not have happened. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of convincing them to get on board, which is a, kind of the opposite for us, right? Like, Typically, we have brands coming to us. This is us going to a brand. Um, and that was sort of the, the starting place. So we knew we had to kind of fully bake our idea out. And, and this is um, when Jack, uh, myself, Winston, uh, who's our, our, our head of production, another director on a roster, um, all kind of started putting our heads together of if we're going to make a film like this, how what is the story? What is the arc? Um, which is, I guess when you start a doc, you don't necessarily get that far. Um, but we had to show a proof of concept before this thing could be a reality, even to us, even for us to consider doing it. Um, and that's where Jack really came in. Yeah. I kind of dove into the, um, I got all the information from, you know, Dustin and Mark from parlor and the early conversations about what this could be. Um, and just kind of meditated on it and then uh, got really inspired one weekend and just cranked out some storyboards that were basically like storyboards for a 20-minute movie (laughs) Um, and then showed up to work the next week and they were like, okay, this is a lot. Um, (laughs) Some of this is great. Some of this is totally pie in the sky. Uh, Some of this doesn't connect, but it was a great jumping off point. I mean, we knew that, um, you know, we had this, we needed to sort of tie together multiple threads in New England. We had the parlor team is coming from East Boston and they're meeting these super salt of the earth skiers from Vermont. And then those two uh, groups that we sort of start their narrative separately are coming together and meeting a third guy or uh, really a sixth guy, I think, in the Adirondacks, um, Alex Goff. So mm-hmm. it was kind of, and then of course at the end, taking that whole crew all the way back to Vermont um, for the finale. So we kind of had like ideas of the locations we wanted to go to um, and like when each set of characters would be introduced and how we would sort of slowly build the crew to be larger and larger. And um, we did not expect our backcountry ski day to be a fail, which um, (laughs) we can talk more about. But uh, so there was some pivoting that needed to be done in the process, but the storyboards were basically, you know, we're, we're introducing these different narratives. We're giving a little backstory about the history of skiing in New England, which was very important to us um, because this, the history of skiing in New England is uh, very much a parallel to many stories in New England, um, which is this is kind of the birthplace of America. This is where a lot of industries began. 
And a lot of them moved on to bigger and better places, but a lot of people sort of stuck around. And why are there those people that stick around uh, in the birthplace when you could go and get bigger and better? So it's, you know, it's not just skiing that has that narrative, but we were interested in going back and exploring that. And then, um, you know, also tying in this element of this is a place for people to go get that sort of forest bathing, like outdoor, like becoming one with their environment and Mm -hmm. kind of like having that appreciation of the landscape that they were born into and that they grew up in, in a way that's not accessible on resort skiing because, you know, you're on these super widely plowed snow highways next to, you know, hundreds of people. Usually from New York. Usually usually (laughs) from New York or the tri-state area. Uh And, uh, you know, that's not the Zen nature experience that this that sort of birthed the industry a yeah, right. hundred years ago. Right. Okay, everybody, you know the deal. It's that time to take a break to thank the sponsors of our show. Uh, Very excited. Over the next few episodes, you are going to hear a lot of new sponsors, a lot of new folks that we're working with as we push our way into 2021. Um, And very excited about these companies, very excited about uh, teaming up with these folks. And as I've always said on the show, I try to do ad reads uh, and uh, arrange sponsorships for people that I want to work with, for people that make products that I want to use, um, and for people that uh, run their businesses in a way that I feel like is honest and true. So uh, without further ado, let's get to it. And let's start with some of the classics. Let's start with the company that has continuously supported me for years at this point. I love these guys so much. I'm talking about the boys over at Puget Systems. Now, if you are a video editor, if you're a filmmaker, if you're a gamer, video gamer, uh, and you're just looking for a new computer, because we're hitting that point, right? Where all of those old um, MacBook Pros that we bought, all of those old Mac Towers, all that stuff is sort of hitting its, um, its extinction point, essentially. And it's because the software basically renders the hardware useless. Have you guys noticed this? How ridiculous is it that we get all these free software updates and then suddenly the same gear that we were using before the update now works slower? How does that make any sense, right? Well, here's what I did. I could not bring myself to go back into debt with those bigger companies, those larger companies where their business strategy is to literally outdate their equipment with their software updates. I couldn't take it anymore. So uh, I decided that I was gonna go back and look into PCs. Now as a kid, I used to build PCs on my own because I wanted like super amazing gaming systems and we used to have LAN parties. Man, I'm really dating myself with all this. Um, But as I got older, I was running a business. So I had a company, I had a post-production company Um, and uh, we needed to have a couple of edit bays, and I did not want to be the guy that was customer support. I didn't want to be the one that built the systems, and then anytime an editor had a problem, I'd I'd have to be on 24-hour call. I did not want that. Um, And so I I hunted, I looked around, and at the time it was hard to find 
a good PC company that was really focused on our industry, focused on video editing and all that. There were tons of companies out there that would build uh, gaming PCs. Like if I wanted a computer to look like a car from the Fast and the Furious, I could find that anywhere. I could just do a simple Google search for it. But I really wanted a company that understood uh, what the software programs, the video editing programs, what Adobe Photoshop, any of the Adobe products did to a machine and what portions of the machine were taxed upon because of it. So after doing a bunch of research, I found this amazing company. It's a smaller company and I love these guys for it. It's family owned, it's Puget Systems and these guys are Northwest Coast. They're up in Washington, I think. Yeah, Washington, Michael, you've been there. Um, <clears throat> really great guys. They build custom PCs based upon the software that you use. Uh, and they're hyper-focused on the filmmakers. They're hyper-focused on creatives. It's one of the reasons why they teamed up with me over the past few years. Um, so if you want to build a new computer, and you want a lightning fast, a custom-built system, you ever notice that when you go to, I, I don't care, I'll just come right out and say it. You go to Apple's website, they usually only give you three options and then you're completely restricted with the hardware that you put in those options, right? That's how Macs work. That's why they always work, quote unquote, always work, is because they limit the variables that get put into their machines and they don't let you have access to those machines because they believe that you're gonna fuck them up, 100%. And so that's how they get their machines to work the way they do. They're sealed boxes, sealed cases. Sure, you can go in and change a couple things out, and their newer products allow you to do some upgrades, but it, you have to be dealing with whatever sort of politics Apple is working with manufacturers with. You know, you always hear these stories about which one of the uh, processing companies are they in bed with now, which one of the graphics card companies are they in bed with now. And when they have some sort of beef, suddenly the one that you had is on the outs with them and now the, the updates aren't working the right way. I hate it. I hate that stuff. So I went and I hung out with Puget Systems. They designed for me uh, amazing 4K edit systems. I've got some really great systems with awesome specs. If you guys wanna know my specs, write to me on Instagram and I'll send you my specs for the systems. Um, but they're fantastic. And what I love about Puget is that they care. They actually ask, what are you gonna use? How are you gonna use it? These guys have no affiliations. They're completely out on the marketplace looking for the best deals that they can find. And they're benchmark testing all this equipment as it comes out. And they're running it through the tests of all the software updates. I don't know how they do it because it's a nightmare. I cannot imagine if my business was dealing with the consistent fluctuation of software updates. <laughs> it would drive me insane. Uh, but these guys do such a great job with it. And uh, they have amazing real life person, real person life, I said that wrong twice. They have a real person doing customer service at their company. So you call them up, you get a real person. They know who you are. They will walk you through your stuff. They will help you with upgrades. Can you imagine buying a computer that can be upgraded and changed as these updates happen and as all this stuff works? So instead of having to like throw the brand new computer that you got four years from now into the ocean with the other parts in China, uh, you can hold on to your system and swap out a couple pieces and it'll still be running great. I don't know. A lot of good stuff to say about these guys. I love this company. Go to PugetSystems.com, check them out. And if you're not in the U.S., because this has been an issue, because a lot of my listeners 
are in Australia, a lot of my listeners are in the UK. Um, they don't ship internationally, but they also do a consultation program for them. So what you can basically do is sign up for a consultation. I think it's like a $500 fee. Don't quote me on that. Go to Puget Systems and check it out. But they will walk you through the process of how to build your own PC to their specs. Super cool dudes, really great resource if you're building your own PC. I can't say enough good things about them. Go to PugetSystems.com. Also, as always, supporting us on the show are our good friends over at Quasar Science, one of the best advancements in the movie industry over the past 15, 12 years, whatever it's been, has been LED lighting, right? It has changed the way our TV shows look. It's changed the way our movies look. <laughs> How many times do you watch a music video and you see Quasar tubes in the background? It drives me insane. But um, they do such a good job with creating well-balanced, well-calibrated LED units. So like if you're looking for a bicolor unit, so you want a unit that does uh, daylight tungsten and you want it to be LED, these colors are true for that. And that's important because a lot of the cheaper stuff that you find online, if you're looking on uh, eBay or something and you're like, wow, why don't I just buy these LED units from China? They're a lot cheaper. The big difference is, is that their color isn't consistent and it's not true. How many times have you used a cheaper LED unit and wanted it to be daylight, but it's more green than anything else. And in some shots it's green, and some shots it's blue, right? And so then you're in the color grading process pulling your hair out, because you gotta like go in between those both to find a happy medium. It drives me crazy. Uh, and in the beginning, I was playing it cheap. I did that, I would just use whatever LED units I can get my hands on. But once I started using Quasar stuff, I was just able to depend on it, right? And being able to depend on a piece of equipment to do what it's supposed to do means that you're not correcting it later, which is saving you time and money because you know that you're not gonna be able to charge the client for your screw up, right? Mm. So go check them out, go to Quasar Science. Great website, really good resource. I think they're still doing their Muppet style puppet show over there, which is really fun. Um, and they have a bunch of brand new units out in the marketplace and hopefully I'll be able to talk about them in the next few weeks, but they have a lot of really cool new stuff out there, rainbow LED units that are out there. I think they're called like dual rainbow LEDs. I'll do the research for next read, uh, but go check them out, quasarscience.com. And new to the show, very excited about these guys. Um, I found them online when I was just doing some shopping for myself, right? I needed to pick up a couple new shirts. I had some Christmas money in my pocket and so I was looking around and I like to have nerdy shirts it's my thing right you feel like you're sort of an elitist <laughs> you feel like you're in a club where you're like I get this reference do you get this reference and then people are sort of looking at you and then when you find like-minded individuals they sort of look at your shirt and they go I like that I know what that is and you're like yeah well this company really knocks it out of the park with that stuff um, go check out Movie Tees. So if you go to movietees.com, Movie Tees, they do, they have such a great uh, gimmick on their website. They basically will go through all of our favorite movies from when we were kids and they break it down to time periods. And they will pick out the companies that are portrayed in these different movies and they basically make t shirts for those companies. Now, some of the good ones, some of like, the ones that are at the top of the of the run for me are like the Nostromo shirts from Alien, 
Uh, they have the uh, Nakatomi Towers logo from uh, Die Hard. Uh, the uh, Hanka Robotics. Let's see if you know what movie that's from. Uh, Cyberdyne Systems. They have all these really great logos. Um, and so I was like, oh, let me try it out. I'm going to try these guys out. I'm going to see what's going on. Um, and I ordered a few shirts. And man, their shirts are great. I actually got the fitted versions of the shirts, which uh, I put on a bunch of weight because of COVID. So uh, it doesn't make me look like a fat ass. But at the same token, I don't feel like I'm wearing a tarp. You know, with those big old band t-shirts. And they're not form-fitted at all. Uh, and the cotton quality on them is fantastic. I got the lightweight ones. Um, and they're really cool, man. Very excited about these guys. And you're going to see me doing a lot of posts on Instagram. I want to show off the shirts that I got because I think they're super nerdy and super cool. And we are working with these guys to do a contest. So in the next few weeks, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be doing a contest where a lucky listener will be able to win a shirt from these guys. Really cool stuff. Um, can stay consistent on my Instagram. So if you follow me at Mike Petchy on Instagram, uh, you'll be able to see when the contest goes up. You'll be able to uh, be a part of it and try to win a great t-shirt from these guys. And I think they're going to give us a discount code or something. Don't quote me on that yet. Um, and this is not a paid for read yet. This is a pre-read. I want. I'm just very excited about it. Today I'm sitting here, wearing my Skynet shirt, and uh, I feel like a fucking, a proud little nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, go check them out. Go to movie. So it's m o v i t e e s dot com. Um, and as always, if you want to support the show, a great way to do so, if you haven't done it already, on any other podcast. You can sign up for a free trial at Audible. If you go to our website, levelthaprocess.com, and click on our sponsors page, or if you click the link below the episode, uh, you can sign up for a free trial at Audible. That's 30 days for free, and that comes with a free audiobook and access to all their content for 30 days. Uh, I am just about done listening to Ready Player Two. It's really great. Have you guys listened to this one yet? I don't want to give away anything. But uh, the scale definitely gets a bit bigger. The stakes become a bit more dangerous with these guys. Um, and uh, all I got to say is, is, uh, is there's a prince planet. <laughs> I don't think I'm giving too much away. Um, but if you're curious, if you liked Ready Player One and you want to listen to Ready Player Two, they do a good job with it. You'll find it at Audible. So if you go to Audible, I think it's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. The link is below. Sign up. 30 days for free, doesn't cost you anything. We get paid. And if you decide that you can't afford it and you you can't continue with it, which you're gonna want to because there's so much to listen to, I literally have three credits that I still have to cash in and each credit equals a book. And that book, it takes me fucking like a month to get through a book. Um, but if you have to cancel, cancel. We still get paid, doesn't matter at all. So it's a great way to support the show without costing you a dime, okay? So check that out. And for those listening that just showed up, um, do yourself a favor and go to inlovewiththeprocess.com, especially if you're having trouble deciding what episode to go to next. You know, I know it can be a bit daunting when you look and you say, hey, this is like, I don't know what episode this is going to be, but probably like 120 or something. It's like, man, do I have to go all the way back to number one and go through? Well, you should. (laughs) We've spent the time to do really great episodes for you guys. 
and doesn't mean that the earlier episodes aren't fantastic. You go back then, like Wade Eastwood's episode, I forget what number that is, but that's season one. Wade Eastwood is uh, Tom Cruise's stunt coordinator, and we actually catch up with him after they did Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, and it's fucking great. You know that bathroom fight scene that Tom Cruise does with Superman there? Hen- what's, what's his name? Henry Cavill? It's, we get into the detail of how he designed that scene. It's really cool stuff. So if you want to find all these episodes, you could go scroll back through everything on, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and just read the descriptions. Or you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and find the episodes curated by subject material. And uh, we have pages that have all sorts of supplemental uh, material with it. So that way, when you're listening to the show, you can actually see the trailers, you can see pictures, all that kind of stuff. So inlovewiththeprocess.com. I don't know why you're not there right now while you're listening to me. What the fuck do you guys do? What do you guys do? You just sit there and you just absorb? Just stare into a corner? Are you subscribing to us on YouTube? Have you done that yet? How many times do I have to ask you? Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. All right, everybody. That's it. I've sort of hit you over the head enough. <laughs> Let's get back into it with the Vagrant Boy. So when you guys um, <clears throat> when you guys were putting this thing together, I mean, it's got to be complicated because you're dependent upon weather and everything. So how were you able to to plan out these shoots was it all sort of like hey it's gonna it's gonna really drop snow right now so let's fucking do it like it was it all last minute kind of shit or purely luck (laughs) extreme (laughs) luck um i think so i should probably back up a little bit by saying that we above all above all we sort of want this film to be a a love letter to new england Mm -hmm. and 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 the name made back east literally came from an experience I had going to ski out west when you get in, in a gondola with somebody uh, who's usually from California, probably, <laughs> probably from L.A. Um, and, you know, that they, they ask you, you know, uh, where are you from? Oh, oh uh, I'm from Boston. Oh, you're from back east. And, and what is sort of unpacking that, what is sort of built into that, that sentiment is that if you're from New England, then then you, you had you have to go out west to really ski. You know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> yeah. the, there's they very much look down on on our little uh, icy hills that we have here, uh-huh. and um, and I, we just kind of felt that New England, and especially in the outdoor film world, uh, is extremely underrepresented for the amount of people that we have that are out doing these sports and hobbies and activities. Um, so we, we very much knew that this wanted to be a film about new England and then, that really informed everything else. Um, so that as a precursor, the weather in new England is <laughs> extremely unpredictable, right? Like, and, and we knew that if we wait for the weather to happen, uh, or, or the perfect conditions to happen, which also may never happen, mm-hmm. um, that we, we, you know, we wouldn't be doing ourselves a service. Um, it, so we kind of had this mentality, and I think this is very reminiscent of what it's like to be um, a skier in New England or any, any outdoor enthusiast here, is that 
you just have to go and you have to make the best of it. And we are prepared for it to be uh, 50 and raining <laughs> or, <laughs> or, you know, uh, 30 and, and dumping snow. And luckily we, we got the ladder. Yeah. Well, I mean, weather is always uh, like it can, especially in New England, it's a fucking nightmare. So I was just, that was one of my big questions. I'm like, Jesus Christ. So not only are you dealing with talent and scheduling and all that stuff, but then also the weather. Yeah, um, we just completely lucked out in that category. I can't even <laughs> express. We we had that window uh, between Christmas and, you know, the, the pr- production grind is so busy in December. Yeah. And so we started thinking about this after in, in the, the uh, break in between Christmas and New Year's. And we realized we're like, well, we're probably going to be busy in February. Uh, so we, we got to start doing this now. And luckily we had a break in a uh, window uh, in, in work where we could really focus and uh and treat this as we would any shoot it's honestly fellas it's nice talking to you guys and hearing boston voices again because (laughs) when you talk about when you were talking about the back east thing and, and being on a ski lift out here it's it's fascinating the difference in not just lifestyle but work work ethic that is between the west coast and the east coast and i think that uh, the East Coast, you end up being so much more hardened and so much more efficient because of that, because of understanding that when you do get into a situation like you guys are in where you get to make a film and you convince these people to do it, then it's full fucking throttle. Let's get into it. Yeah. Let's make this thing happen. And out here on the West Coast, it's a little bit different. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, here's an idea of something that we're going to do. Let's talk about it for three fucking months. And so <laughs> <laughs> it's like... So it's funny being out here now because we've been out here for over a year. So uh, I'm still a Boston kid. And so when I'm yeah. dealing with people out here and it, like a lot of people will like preface like hanging out with me where it's like he's from the East Coast, <laughs> which yeah. is which essentially means I show up on fucking time. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do what it, I do what it is that I say I'm going to do. And like I try to get more than 13 things done a day. As opposed to everybody else here, they're, they're like, well, we did two things. I think it's time to go to the beach or I think it's time to fucking have a cocktail. And you're just like, God I, damn it. How does anything get done? <laughs> right. And I, I I imagine, Mike, you get this all the time. Um, do, you know, do you get the sentiment of like, what is it about, you know, Boston that, that you love so much? Or like what, whenever people from the east coast go out west they either come they either boomerang they either come back yeah um or or they completely denounce their <laughs> their east coast self uh and and fully you know invest themselves um into into a new lifestyle um, yeah. and, and, and shudder to think of what it was like before that oh i don't i could never spend another winter you know uh, I, I mean that fucking, where, where do you fall okay so that shit drives me crazy first off i love the winters i miss them i really yeah. fucking do i miss the snow i miss that shit i think like snowstorms are like one of those natural disasters that shut everything the fuck down but nothing yeah. really is destroyed most of the time, nothing is destroyed. <laughs> and, it, and so I love that. I love the change up of that. And I also miss the uh, that first week when it becomes spring and starts yeah. to get a bit warmer. There's yeah. sort of like the celebration that happens and everybody's like, like a bunch of fucking bears climbing out of a cave and they're just like, oh, okay, thank God. You know, like that's really nice. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff about Los Angeles because I was very fucking anti-LA, like completely anti-LA, total yeah. East Coaster, like fuck those people. Like that was my whole mode. 
Um, and when I came out here, I, I like I was kind of like crossing my arms and just being like, just waiting for these fucking assholes. You know, it's like one of those things. Like, totally, totally in a bad attitude. Um, and what I ended up meeting was a lot of people that I know out here, people from the East Coast. There's a lot of fucking yeah. people from the East Coast out here, and you know, Lyft drivers and shit. They're like, you know, I'm from Boston. I'm like, what the fuck? So there's a lot of that which is really great but my mentality of it is this like i love boston i love the east coast that city made me that city really made me really made my voice and the voice that it really hasn't changed um but the city's also changed a lot for me so when when we were moving out of that city i started to miss one of the things i loved about boston was that i could go to charlie's kitchen in harvard square Go upstairs, sit at the fucking bar, and sit next to like the head of head CEO of some like like bio firm and yeah. a and a garbage man, and the three of us would all have a conversation together, and it'd be and a really some twin lobster rolls. Yeah, exactly, dude. You know, and you'd sit there and you'd have like a really solid conversation, and then right before we moved, it's it was that big move that was happening in the country, which is the yeah. overdevelopment. Like there was a couple of big companies that would just ran around and built these giant development complexes that uh, jacked the fucking rent up ridiculously in that city. And then, you know, basically sold out the first top floors of their place to, to Chinese fucking money. And so the, the city just became very yuppie and very, yeah. like, very un-Boston. Yep. And, and yeah. so, and it wasn't just Boston, because we did a lot of traveling. Gina and I worked a lot, and we were in, like, Austin, and we are in... Nashville and fucking Seattle and these these uh, companies were just setting up these 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 places everywhere and so you just sort of go there and you're like man everything's being fucking pasteurized yeah. um, and one of the things I love about New York City is that New York City still has a lot of um, <clears throat> like homegrown like little bodegas homegrown little places like they kind of shun fucking McDonald's they kind of shun all that shit um, and LA kind of does that too, although without getting too deep into it, LA also like really celebrates malls, which blows my fucking mind. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have been out here and have noticed that, but people are like, yeah, it's all strip malls. <laughs> it's just a strip mall country. Dude, not even strip mall. Like they, I, I had one guy who was like, let's go, let's go meet me at this bar. And I go, okay. And so I drive to this place and it's like, a, it's like the Natick Mall. I go to the fucking Natick Mall and I'm like mm-hmm. pulling in there and I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm just walking through past all like these department stores to get to a bar. And I'm like, what is it? What am I in fucking high school? Like, what is this? And there's a, the whole culture out here of people that just love going to malls and where the rest of the country, all the malls are going out of business. They're fucking thriving out here. Yeah. It's crazy, dude. I think an interesting thing about New England too is I totally agree with you that Boston has changed a lot in the last 10 years. And I think what we still love about New England and somewhat celebrate in this film is that if you get outside of Boston and you go to New Hampshire or Vermont or Maine, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you immediately are sort of like reminded of what Boston used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And those types of characters. Yeah. And so I guess getting back to, to where I was going with that is that there is uh, this sentiment that, people have that you know what what is it uh, people from the west coast ask you all the time what is it about the east coast that you love so much the weather sucks uh you always (laughs) seem to be complaining about it 
you know that that it's it's uh, confined, compact, right? Like you, you can't get a lot of real estate uh, for for a decent price. Um, uh, you know, packed in like sardines. Um, you know, so so what is it? What is it that you like about it so much? And I've never had any time I've gone to LA, I I have never had a good answer to that question. Um, and it's not that. I don't have an answer to it. I, I know the answer is there, but I kind of realized that the answer is intangible. The reason why we love it out here, and, I, and I'm sure there's a big part of you, Mike, that, that feels this way, is it's the intangible factor. It's, it's the you know, not knowing what's around the corner. Yes. Um, and, and it's the little things that you can, can find that um, have stood the test of time uh, and, and are, are somehow still here. It's the dude who runs the liquor store down the street that is going <laughs> to like tell you about, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 his son's uh, bat mitzvah. I don't even know. Like it, there's just something about the people here and when all of those people coexist in one one place, it does kind of become beautiful. Now, I think Boston has lost a lot of that. Yeah. Um, and I agree with Jack. It, you do kind of find it in these other safe havens, you know, these pockets of culture in New England. Um, you know, so the way that sentiment translates into the skiing world is, is that how could you possibly be still be a skier in New England? If you took yourself seriously as a skier, as an outdoorsman, uh, you would have moved to Jackson Hole years ago and you would have stayed here <laughs> because the conditions are freaking perfect. Well, obviously... That is not why we're here. There is something about the unpredictability of the conditions um, that we love because it makes it, it's like that day when everyone pulls themselves out of hibernation in the spring. There is something about not having the consistency yeah. of, of uh, perfect weather that makes it so much sweeter when you do have it. Yeah, and, and, and I, having that crew of people that you know yeah. that will go out there with you and search for it. And even if you all fail miserably, it's, it's fun regardless because, right. you know, you're all in it together and, you know, you're kind of deriving the best out of the shitty conditions. Type two fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there's a lot of parallels between what you guys are talking about with the ski film and then the film business. So there's, there's a lot of parallels on both ends where folks would be, I remember when I came out here, when I was still living in Boston and I came out here to do a pitch one of the films and I was sitting across from like a pretty well-known director who I wanted to punch in the face by the time we were done having a conversation with him. Uh, but he looked at me and he was like, what the fuck are you in Boston? So it was like one of those things where it was just like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. And you know, you walk out of there and you're like, you're, you're, you're sort of taking that statement and you're like, well, am I making the wrong decision? And you examine it and you go, well, no, here's why I'm here. Here's why I was there. I had to learn how to, to figure this all out on my own. I had to learn how to make it work in an environment where the elements aren't perfect, right. where all the stuff isn't there for you. And so what you end up doing is creating a whole new way in. You figure out right. a whole new way to do it. And so you go through this back door, you come up with a whole new system for, of, of how to successfully uh, create something, whether you're talking about doing a ski run or whether you're talking about making a movie how to successfully put it together, and then you form your own way of doing things, which creates product or creates something that people really enjoy. 
Right. And so then when you bring that thing to a place that is so used to having the perfect conditions, they sort of look at it and go, how the fuck did you get this thing to work like that? And you go, well, that was simple because I had to fix this whole issue that without mm-hmm. access. So that's why I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And then they scratch their head and they go, huh. And then what ends up happening is that you're more resilient and you're more creative on it, on your approach, whether you're talking about skiing or filming uh, with this stuff and you're, you end up in an environment, now that I'm in the perfect environment for filmmaking, I walk yeah. into a space and people look at it and they go, how were you able to pull that off for that kind of money? I go, dude, I can pull off three times that for that kind of money because that's what I've been doing for fucking 18 years right. in another spot. Right. And it blows people's fucking minds. And I bring this up because a lot of my listeners will always ask, like, if you're a filmmaker, do you have to move to LA or do you have to move to New York? And my response has become uh, not right away. And my response is like, if you are in a place and you have the ability to do what it is that you like to do there, do it there because your resources are going to be better. The challenges are going to force you to be more creative. It's going to develop your style. It's going to develop your reputation and all that sort of stuff. And then you'll hit a ceiling where you have to go where the cash is and you'll be twice as powerful as opposed to being a skier that skis in the perfect conditions all the time and right. nothing you do is is remarkable. And right. maybe maybe you're the top 1% and you're that guy that can ski with one ski on and fucking flip like five times as he rolls down the hill because he was born that way. But the rest of you are just dudes that are just like, hey, it's fucking great up here, isn't it? And you're just yeah. skiing, you know? Yeah. yeah, that's such an interesting parallel. It really, I, I, I hadn't even thought about that. But, you know, the part of the, the byline of the film that, that we've been... Um, talking about is that it, when you grow up in New England, people always say, if you can ski in New England, you can ski anywhere. Yep. And, and that, that's like sort of the the same thing with, with filmmaking. You, you know, film, uh, LA is essentially like the Jackson Hole of filmmaking, <laughs> you know, as it pertains to skiing. Yeah. Um, and, and if you can do it in Boston or, or as any secondary city, I, I, we shouldn't just be beating our chest sure. constantly here as proud Bostonians. <laughs> this is probably true for, for any sort of secondary, you know, media market city. Um, if you can do it there and you can do it with uh, 10x less the resources, 10x mm-hmm. less the crew, 10x less the experience, then you're you're going to develop. You're going to learn so much faster. You're going to develop that grit, that resilience, that when you do get put on sort of the main stage um, of, of whatever activity it is that you're doing, uh, you're going to shine all that much brighter, you know? Yeah. We, this is embodied completely by our narrator, John Egan, who we were yeah. lucky enough to get on the film. But John and his brother, Dan Egan, kind of famous New England skiers in all the Warren Miller films, have kind of traveled around the world. Um, he came in, he was drawn to our movie, was willing to, you know, basically contribute his awesome voice to it, uh, even though we didn't really have the funds to... We gave him donuts. We gave him donuts. Um, so... <laughs> But nice. he came in and he was telling us all these crazy stories about like, I was in Kathmandu, you know, about a hundred miles from the nearest hospital. And I had a friend who was in an avalanche and I saved his life by going down the most sheer slope I've ever been in my life. And just the most insane story. And then he's like, but yeah, I always say that I, I'm only able to do that because I grew up skiing here, you know, and yeah. like, he always brings it back to that of he skied everywhere in the world. He's been dropped off in the helicopter, but he he still thinks that he has so much fun 
um, in Vermont, you know, in those little icy snowy notches where he's been skiing since he was young. And actually he's a Dorchester guy. He was, uh, <laughs> he, he grew up, you know, fairly poor in, in Dorchester, a dot rat. And, uh, he, him and his brother would make skis, um, by themselves. And then when it would snow, they'd go hike up blue Hills <laughs> and, and go ski down. And it wasn't until he was much older, you know, I think as a, as a teenager that he got the opportunity to go and ski up in Vermont. So, um, yeah, that's true grit and resilience right there. It's, it's really cool when you think about it, because I, I just did a, another episode where we got into this a bit about the filmmaking part of it. And, you know, there are folks that, are born into the uh, situation in which they can do well, right? So, or they have like really great opportunity, right? Like you're a fucking Coppola kid. Oh, okay, of course you're going to be a filmmaker. Of right. course you're going to have amazing stuff. But um, if you are someone that doesn't have that stuff, but you have the passion for it, as long as you just continuously do it, as long as you're just pushing through it, and you're working every day and you're just going back to it. And if it's really hard to do, it forces you to not only get better at it, but also deal with having to do something that's hard. Yeah. Deal with having to, to handle something that doesn't come easily. Um, and then it makes all the stuff that people that have that access, their hard shit is so much easier than your hard shit was. You yeah. know what I mean? And so it it works itself out. It I, I think it's really great. And I think... When I talk about Boston, if someone says, what do you like about Boston so much and why do you like it? That's what I talk about. I talk yeah. about the fact that like, I had to do this shit on my fucking own. You know what I mean? And I lived yeah. in a place where people weren't telling me that I was a pretty little fucking snowflake all the time. So <laughs> uh, it's you okay. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely haven't lost your Boston. That's for yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, You're always going to be one of us, Mike. I, you should see me talking in a room full of people. I'm always like, Gina's looking around going, all right, you might want to turn down the Boston a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think though, like it, it kind of, for me, I always, it's, it's like a bit of the Malcolm Gladwell, a thousand hours thing, you know, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which is, is that it is just about putting in the time, but there's something to be said about the quality of that time. Like, Sofia Coppola grew up around her father. She saw every mechanic of the filmmaking process along the way. You know, you, you could say that about so many, you know, Hollywood youth that, that grow up to be successful. Ron Howard, right? Mm -hmm. um, but th they weren't truly tested until they, they got that first nod. And, and, and their, their nod was just so much higher than, yeah. than yeah. somebody who, who's starting from scratch. Um, you know, and, and it's not just, I mean, Sofia Coppola is just a fantastically talented director, but um, it, there's something to be said about the quality of those hours and, and what those hours are comprised of that kind of shapes the, the, the artist, you know, that, that comes from it. Well, it shapes the human being, in period. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we've talked about this in other episodes, like the, the skills, and sometimes it's to a detriment. The stuff that we learn when we're in that scenario, especially like being on the outside, because when you're on the East Coast, you feel like you're a bit of the, you're on the outside. You're not yeah. really in the club. You're sort of trying to convince people to look over here. You're trying to get your way into that situation. And so you put up a lot of protection. You put up a lot of barriers. You put up a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I know I had a lot of that stuff when I was there where it was just like, well, what the fuck do you know? You know what I mean? And that's like your 
that's your natural barrier where someone's like, well, you don't really understand, you know, how this works. And you're like, what the fuck do you know? <laughs> right. Uh, it, you know, right. and then later on you realize, well, I really didn't know how that works. <laughs> right. And that was just right. me putting up my barrier. So there's this delicate balance. And I think that I always find myself trying to figure it out, being an eat true East Coaster where it's like you're confident and you're 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 battle worn and you're battle tested, but at the same token, you don't want to be so closed off. Like I, th- I think a lot of folks from the East Coast can be too, where it's just like, yeah. well, they don't know what we fucking do, so fuck them. You right, know what I mean? right. You have to, yeah, you have to break through that cold yeah. outer shell and, and open yourself up a bit more. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but anyway, dude. So that being said, where are we at for time? Well, we're we're kicking in close here. Um, I thought the movie was beautiful and. For those of you, for those people listening, can they see the film yet? Like, where would they yep. be able to see the film? Yeah, I think the the one thing that allowed us, um, at, you know, in, in the in the sort of film marketing stage that that we spent a lot of time in, you know, sort of as we were, were in the editing process, we wanted the film to be accessible. Um, we didn't want it to be behind a paywall. We wanted as many people to see it as possible. So we we went. Um, after the fact, which is kind of, again, uh, the, the opposite way of doing it. But we <laughs> went after the fact, went to some brands and said, hey, well, you know, will you guys, um, you know, put some sponsorship money behind it in order for us to, to not put it behind a paywall? Um, and that, that allowed us to ho- self-host. Um, so it's up on Vimeo. If you go to our website, www.madebackeast.com, um, mm-hmm. you'll see the, the link there to, to watch it. Um, straight from the site um, on Vimeo, uh, but we're also got picked up on outside TV. So you can literally, if you have Comcast and uh, most Comcast uh, subscriptions do have outside TV built in, you can literally watch it on demand, which is the coolest thing. I mean, the fact that my my dad who... I'm not even sure he can turn his computer on, uh, can figure out how to watch uh, something I made is is fantastic. uh, so yeah, so outside TV, and then it's also available on any um, Samsung streaming TV has outside TV in in its app um, store. Yeah, cool. But yeah, Dustin, you made me think about um, how this wasn't just our first sort of legit filmmaking endeavor as a team, but we also are doing so in a very unusual year yeah. to be coming out with our first film. Um, you know, we were filming this back in February before the pandemic really happened or took hold in the US, um, we were thinking like, this is gonna go out to little indie film festivals and we're gonna try to do that sort of like having screenings and people all in the same place watching this. And then of course the year evolved to what it is and it was like, all right, we gotta completely rethink how this thing's gonna be released. Um, We don't want it to have an exclusive release with a film festival because no, this year people aren't really like going to their email inbox to get their screener link from that one festival, and it's going to be hard to get all your friends' eyeballs on it if that's the only yeah. place it's available. So totally, um, yeah, completely change. I'm wondering, Mike, have you talked about that much on the podcast uh, of of sort of how the indie film lifespan is, is is evolving in this this new environment we're in? Yeah, it's a fascinating thing. It's it's. I mean, not just indie, but also in general, yeah. like feature work. I mean, everything that's going on with Warner Brothers right now and the whole, uh, you know, issue with uh, HBO Max and Warner Brothers putting all these movies directly to HBO Max, which are big movies. And it's like, 
essentially we're, we're battling the death of, of, of movie theaters. We're battling the death of, of public screening venues. And so um, it's a scary time right now for that because everybody's scared. Like, like all, like the, the, the people that work at the studios are scared. The, the heads of these production companies are scared. They, they just don't know. And so the folks that had money put in, like you guys, where they shot something right before COVID, all these bigger productions, all these indie productions that were shot, these guys are scrambling to get them fucking on streaming services because they, right. they need to make their cash back, whether it's, <laughs> whether it's the new Godzilla movie or it's, you know, a $2 million uh, horror f- feature. These guys are just like, fuck. Like, get it, sell it, get it on Netflix, get it on one of these outlets where before you would sort of hold out for multiple revenue streams. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of changing the whole landscape and everybody's got their eyes on it. Um, we've got our eyes on it because we have, I'll talk to you guys offline about it because I haven't released any of it online yet, but um, we're dealing with this with our movie where, um, you know, I'm actually kind of pumped that we're doing it independently because we're still going to retain rights to it. Cause there's, yeah. there's a whole lot of, there's a lot of questions. Like if I do something directly for fucking Netflix, then I can't, what are they just like a one-time payday on that right. fucking thing? Like, how does that work? So, uh, the whole game is, is really strange right now. And film festivals, I'm actually speaking on a panel for a film festival tomorrow over the internet. Um, film festivals are really hit hard with it because the whole film festival experience is going to a theater sitting there with the filmmakers yeah and and having that exchange and so they're trying to do a lot of online stuff but i i don't have the time to do that you know what i mean i have the time to go to a film festival but i don't have the time to like scour through emails and 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 watch it you know what i mean yeah yeah i i i go through the same thing with with how we launched Made Back East, which is that in one way, I'm very grateful that we have retained ownership of it and, mm-hmm. and, and we were able to really home grow our audience, you know, with, with all our partners that, that came on board. Um, but in the same sense, I just feel like we're missing such a huge piece of what it is, especially this being our first film uh, of the, the elbow rubbing and the handshaking yeah. of the film festival circuit. And um, we've heard very nice things um, from the, the festivals that we've, you know, reached out to for, for, for virtual screenings. And, um, you know, it's all very flattering, but you're just missing such an important part of what it is to release um, a film. Yeah, and to their credit, we I feel like in general, they've been more flexible about non-exclusivity. Um, like, yeah. you know, this year we're just kind of letting everybody submit their films across the board to all the festivals because it's unrealistic to expect you to put all your eggs in one basket and Mm -hmm. then, you know, Mm -hmm. totally, totally. And it's, but you know, there's something interesting about it in general, because you guys, what is the runtime on yours? It's about an hour, correct? It's it's actually like 20 minutes. Does it feel, it feels like you felt like it was an hour. Okay. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, well, that's good because I, I did. I sat down and I, I really got immersed with it. So you guys would be basically in some sort of shorts programming at that point then, right? If you're Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the outdoor films are. Um, you know, everything in the Banff um, Film Festival and, and Mountain Film Festival, uh, Talleyride, most of the entries are in the sort of sub- 
30 minute um right makes sense it makes sense and then they're mostly like 10 to 30 and we're kind of right in the middle of that at 20 yeah and then if so let's pretend like covid didn't happen right and so you guys were going to go into the film festivals what would you what would your goal what's your goal what would you want to get out of those film festivals a, a lot of it is the is the context. I mean, like at the end of the day, we we are still a production company, and our our success is built upon our relationships. And you know, we, we this film has already even without that open doors for us. But but we just you know feel like there would be many more doors opened if if we did have that um, that that component. Um, you know, but I think the the other piece of it is that we've been our film is you know maybe this changes with your podcast mike maybe you have such a big reach but <laughs> most of the people who have consumed our film have been skiers or part of the the outdoor enthusiast community um and they and we think we told a bigger story than that we right. we, we think we're telling a story not only just about uh that the, the love letter to new england but it's it's also so, a story about filmmaking you know and and and, and so I, I think the I think the filmmaking community um, that are the ones who are frequenting festivals um, would would really enjoy this this flick as well, and and we really wanted to see if hey maybe we can get into to you know IFF Boston or maybe we can get into sure. uh, Tribeca or Cam- something like Camden, that. Camden, Cam- yeah, yeah, and I think also I mean it's still not out of the question. We're definitely submitting this to film festivals, but um, you know it's gonna one aspect of that is is lending some credibility and legitimacy to um our portfolio as filmmakers you know we've sure i think on the one hand we've you know gotten some positive feedback by getting this out on ski magazine and an outside magazine and that kind of thing so it's like that's one level of accolades but getting the laurels from the festivals if we were to possibly land you know best storytelling or best editing or or anything like that um that's a laurel that you'd want to put right on the thumbnail um, of and course, make sure that you're you're run, leading with when we pitch the next project. Of course, Mike, you hear the rattling of the the pipes here in our our Alston studio. <laughs> yeah, I miss those the, uh, the the monkey the monkeys that were in the pipes. The monkey that were there. slash goose. Yeah, that's squeaking <laughs> yeah. in the walls. <laughs> yeah, I miss that shit. I was in that I was in that building for years. Very same um, building. So, well, to make you guys feel a little bit better, I think about the fact that you weren't able to do the festival thing. Um, I I have mixed feelings about film festivals these days. I have mixed feelings about film festivals if you're a shorts filmmaker. Um, I think that film festivals are really beneficial if you pick the right ones. Like there's 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 film festivals. Uh, I can't remember the names of them, but I'll, they'll come to me as I'm as I'm saying this. There are film festivals that do a really good job setting it up so that filmmakers can network. Um, and there is. Fuck, I wish I remember the film festival. But there's a great one where they'll do uh, filmmaker parlors or they'll do filmmaker meeting rooms where like you, the only people that, that can get in there are people that have badges to get in there. And so it's a really great networking resource. You meet other filmmakers, you meet other producers. If you happen to be someone that's doing narratives, maybe you'll meet an actor or two that you really want to work with. And everybody sort of has the fucking badge and they all look at each other and they go, ah, okay, you did something to be here, so you're kind of important. Uh, I've been to so many fucking film festivals where they just don't give a shit about that. And most of the right. time, they're just about making the revenue on the screening. And then they say they have a quote unquote party and you go to a bar and it's just mixed with people and the interaction is dog shit. Um, 
And if you're, uh, and I've said this on prior episodes, if you're a, a filmmaker, if you're a shorts filmmaker, and if, if you're doing a narrative piece, uh, and you're hoping to catch the eye of a production company, a larger production company, or investors, uh, they don't go to fucking shorts programs. So, and I've talked to all, like I've talked to uh, Ridley Scott's invest uh, production team. I've talked to Michael Bay's production team. I've talked to all these folks. They don't go to short screenings. The only time they go to film festivals is to go see a feature. And even if they wanted to go see a short, uh, the short screenings are usually happening at the same time that the feature screenings happen that they need to go see. So they don't go to film festivals to find shorter content. They hire people in staff. So they have people in staff that are consistently looking online for shorts content. And so the best thing that you can do is create either an online buzz or very specific online presence yeah. with your stuff. Um, yeah. And so if you're thinking about advancement, then you know online I think is a bit more important, but uh, there is something to be said about screening your movie in front of a fucking group of people. And yeah. the, the, the shit that you learn from sitting in sitting in an audience and, and viewing it through their eyes, I think is really important too. Yeah, I, there's something that is amazing about the outdoor film festivals, uh, and it, it was birthed out of the Warren Miller films, um, which is that the audience becomes this active uh, viewer of the film, and like you know, when when uh, uh, someone sends it off a cliff and does a backflip and lands it, you know, there's there's cheers, there's hoots, you know, that everyone's, you, you know, it's it's awesome. And there was an element, the element that we really wanted to preserve from the ski film genre was that element, that there would be those, those moments where you get a big laugh from the crowd or, or you get some excitement. And that is what's really missing. And we're trying, we've talked about doing a Narragansett, um, is one of the sponsors of the film and they mm-hmm. have a pretty big uh, online following and we're talking about doing maybe a Facebook live event or something like that where, where folks can stream it live and maybe maybe we try to preserve some of that 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 you know thing it's Mike not- I'm also curious uh, one thing I've seen just a little bit of is like the, a renaissance of the drive-in movie yep. um, as a socially distanced format of viewership and we don't have the weather for it at the moment but um, I'm wondering one if they they're doing that out in LA, and two if that's something we should be targeting. You know, come this spring and summer, they are big time out here. Like, um, mm-hmm. th- like there are a bunch of different companies that are doing all sorts of nostalgic drive-ins. Like, I actually am going uh, on the 21st with fr- uh, a friend of mine. We're actually going to go watch the thing on a blow-up screen in a fucking parking lot in uh, nice. Glendale. So. Uh, drive-ins have been a pretty big thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know how it works on the indie level. I don't know if I haven't really heard much about like indie stuff going through the drive-ins. I've mostly heard like nostalgic kind of shit because everybody's like, hey, "Life sucks right now." How would you like to go watch the fucking Goonies in a parking lot? All right, yeah. cool. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, I, I got to see Jaws at the Wellfleet drive-in this super cool summer super which cool. was awesome right it's like <laughs> i i was living the movie and then the next day uh you can go out in the ocean and actually get bit by a shark it's incredible <laughs> the thing that you guys may want to put your eyes on in the company that i'm trying to well the, the company i have i'm holding out high hopes for is alamo draft house and uh i know that they don't have an alamo in boston they should 
Um, but I don't know if you guys have ever been to them. They're amazing. Fucking theaters. And it's uh, like really great indie theaters, really high content quality, film nerd, film geek fucking screening rooms. Um, and Alamo uh, is all part of like Mondo and all those guys. Uh, they do really great indie stuff. And I know Alamo is doing like online stuff right now and they have a huge culture for it. There's a big time culture for that sort of st- stuff. So um, my hope honestly is that if the theaters, here's the dream world, right? We come out of COVID, the big theater shut down, right? So you lose the lows, you lose all those big spots. Who gives a fuck anyways, those places, who cares? <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? And so then hopefully you, like the Coolidge Corners, like the Alamo Draft Houses, these places become incredibly specialized. And I, I'm hoping that when they do that, they're going to need content and specific specialized content, which means us as independent filmmakers will have a venue again. We'll actually yeah. be able to get stuff in those. And if you're retaining your rights, if you're retaining the, the rights to your content, then you can start to come up with multiple revenue streams. You can say, hey, guess what? I'm only going to do an independent theater run for a fucking half year, and then I'm going to try to sell it to different streaming services, and then I'm going to get it on you know, all the different streaming outlets. Uh, when I had um, the dude that directed fucking Gossip Girls on the show, he was telling me he's 65 years old, and he was like, look, after covid i'm sort of like assessing my life and i'm deciding whether or not i want to still direct like all this sort of stuff he's like i really don't need to work again and after he said that i just looked online and i'm like gossip girls was on netflix for how fucking long and then it's on hbo fucking max and then it's on this other streaming service those 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 guys are making residuals so he doesn't have to fucking work again and that's the place that you want to be you want to be in that place where you own your content or you're you're working with an independent production company that owns the fucking content and you're able to make residuals on that stuff. Uh, you know what I mean? How point. is that? Yeah. How is that guy 65 years old? <laughs> how did he make In fairness? That? He was probably like 45 when he, when he started Gossip girl. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 He, wow. he was editing for 20 years. So he started as an editor and uh, it's a really great episode. He talks about being in the I room. I listened to it this morning. It was very nice. Yeah, he talked about being in the room with like really high-end directors for years and learning how they do their selects and learning how they made their mistakes. And uh, it, I was surprised, dude, honestly, I was surprised because I was kind of just sort of doing that show to, to, to say to Gina, like, hey, I got the director of Gossip Girl on. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so then uh, we, you know, as we started talking, he was like very influenced by Hitchcock and he was he was wonderful gentleman. Um, so it's good. Episode. That's that's fantastic. I, I, have to, I have to go back and listen to this now. Fascinating. <laughs> But anyway, um, how are you guys doing on time? You guys okay? Yeah, we're fine. We're fine. We got all day. <laughs> it's Friday. Well, I mean, I miss talking to Boston boys, so it's nice to hear your voices, man. And, and yeah, um, likewise. And you know, I just want to make sure that that the audience understands that this is a great film. It's not just a ski film, you know. And I like you. You don't. You don't have to be a sports nerd to understand it. Um, there's a sense of watching the underdogs try to do something cool. And if you love that sort of winter wonderland vibe, if you love that sense of adventure, like putting on boots and stomping through the snow, uh, like I, I was very nostalgic watching it because I didn't have that this year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a great watch. Folks, 
all those folks having an identity crisis uh, (laughs) out out there in California, we'll give you some seasons. Just give us 20 minutes. Uh, Yeah, I I, I appreciate the the kind words, Mike. It it really does mean a lot um, coming from you. And and, um, I think to to anybody out there listening to this, um, I think the great uh, thing that that we've enjoyed uh, putting this film out there is we've gotten contacted by so many other filmmakers and, and aspiring filmmakers um, uh, to, to ask us questions about how, how did this work or how did you do that? And it's created this really great organic conversation. Um, so, you know, find us on, on social media. Um, it's just made back East on Instagram um, and, and fire some questions at us. It's, it's, it's really been fun to, to, to receive this. Yeah. I feel like that's one of the, uh, unforeseen benefits of making this movie. We, we knew we wanted to see if we could make a movie um, and sort of branch out in that way as a company. But we weren't even thinking about sort of how many new friends we would make yeah. and, and how many new t- types of conversations it would open up for us. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just kind of seeing around a corner that we couldn't see around. Um, and so it's that's definitely encouraging, like having the faith to sort of move forward with a project you feel confident about and just know that it it will open doors you you probably don't even realize are there. Yeah, for sure. Well, fellas, I think that I think this is the moment where we got to end the show. We've been going long enough. Um like I really appreciate you guys being on. Like I said, the movie's fantastic. Everybody go check it out. We'll we'll be sure to have links and resources so that you guys can see it. Uh, with the podcast and um go check out these guys. Check out their work too. Go look at their commercial work. I know there's a lot of you listening that are commercial producers and directors out there. Uh, and you guys should aspire to do the quality of work that these guys do. Uh, uh, Cause if not, then why the fuck are you doing it? So, yeah. Just don't do it in Boston. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> Fly us out to LA. If you can. Just anybody, if you're doing it, just don't come here and do it. That's right. Uh, see, there it is. There's the fucking, there's the, there's the competitiveness on the East coast. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't do it in Boston. <laughs> uh, we, don't, we don't need any more. No, it's 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 uh, Boston has improved greatly. Uh, the production community is totally. I mean, maybe tripled in size since oh, I've been doing it. Dude. And there's there's a lot of really talented folks that are 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 here and. I, I really hope that Boston does become a, a launch pad, um, you know, to, to send people like yourself out uh, to LA and, and, and do it for real. Okay, everybody. That's today's episode. I hope you guys uh, really enjoyed it. I had a blast talking with Jack and Dustin, uh, two really, really cool guys, uh, two uh, part of that company, Vagrants. The, all those people are just the salt of the earth. They're truly creative folks, really trying to push the boundaries back in Boston, back on the East Coast. Um, and I miss, uh, talking with, I miss talking with them at least once a week. So it's happy to have them on the show. And like I was saying at the beginning of the show, go check out their work. It's at vagrants.com. You'll be able to see uh, trailers for the film that we talked about. I'm going to have a link for the film, hopefully, below the episode so that you guys can see that stuff. But then you will see the quality of work that they do. Uh, they work with a lot of cinematographers that I've worked with for years. 
Um, so the stuff is like high quality. It's good stuff. Uh, and as always, thank you for listening to the show. Like I said, during the ad read, head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com and choose another episode uh, to, to listen to there. I dare you to go there to find your episodes. Like, you want to hear from more directors? I have a whole section curated for directors. You want to hear from you musicians? I get more musician stuff. And you know what? Write me a note on Instagram. Let me know, because we've been doing so many different people on the show at this point. We've had so many different subject material episodes. Like, what do you guys want to hear next? What have we neglected on this show? Who do you, who should we get on it? Give me some give me some guidance. I'm turning to you guys for guidance here. Because uh, you know, I, we get so deep into it. We put our heads down and we start pounding through it. We try to book guests and we try to come up with great ideas, but I, I really want to know what you guys want to hear. Right? Do you guys want more filmmaking shows specifically? Do you guys want other avenues? Like uh, did you dig the episode that we did with the firefighter? out here and fighting fires in California. Do you like that craziness? Do you like it when we divert that much? I know one of our most popular episodes is on cinematography. Do we want to go back into cinematography? You want me to lean that way? Uh, let me know what you're thinking. I'll take some of your advice and then some of your advice I'll throw out the fucking window and do whatever I want. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, seriously, you know, let us know. Um, Lots of great stuff on the way. A lot of new episodes coming at you. Next Tuesday, you can uh, expect us to be here. Uh, and as always, love you guys. And uh, stay safe. And I hope you're prepared for when we finally get released from our fucking COVID prisons. See you.